Come, Lord Jesus, we pray you would open your word to us. Lord, you are more powerful than anything we know, than anything that remains mysterious. Draw our hearts today to worship you. Reveal yourself and your goodness to us, that we may walk as you're baptized. In your power, in your courage, would you come, Lord Jesus, in your name, amen. So when I was in college, I was part of a campus ministry group, and I uh, was close with my campus staff minister, my campus uh, staff worker, and she told me a story that happened a few years before I uh, got there, where a student that she'd worked with was suffering from some kind of psychological issue or burden or problem. And so a dean at the college kind of gathered a care team for this student and had um, doctors and mental health professionals and professors and my campus minister all sort of sitting around this table talking and he said, the student is in crisis and, and we want to help them. And, uh, and so he went around the room and he said, okay, we've come together to help the student and we might call what she's suffering from all different names. We might call it and the dean points to the doctor. A chemical or neurological problem points to the counselor. Mental illness points to my campus minister. Demons. And she, and then just moves on. And she was like, wait, what? It was clear in this conversation that the dean didn't actually believe in demons, but that she thought that um, kind of religious crazy people kind of talk about this when they see mental illness, they call it something demonic. And my campus minister said, well, we need to actually help her with what's actually happening. If it's mental illness, then let's call it that. If it's demons, then let's call it that. But it's not all different words for the same phenomenon. And that's not just kind of a term that crazy religious people put on everything. So today's gospel passage is about Jesus' encounter with a demon. Demons are what William Stringfellow called the powers and principalities of death. Spiritual agents of anti-creation. They work against the good order of creation. They are spirits opposed to God's goodness. Jesus was teaching with authority in the synagogue, a holy place, on the Sabbath, a holy day. So he was in this holy place on this holy day, and he encounters evil. He encounters a man who is so possessed by another spirit that at times he isn't even fully in control of what he's saying. Against the authority of Jesus comes resistance. Jesus, in his teaching, is meeting opposition. And the spirit cries out, have you come to destroy us? And the demon recognizes what is true. He says, I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. And Jesus tells him, be silent. That's how our translation says it. But it's more like, shut up and come out of him. And the spirit has to obey him. Not out of love, but because of Jesus' power. 
his authority, his control of the situation. So he convulses the man and he shrieks and he comes out of him. And the people are amazed and a little freaked out. And they ask, who is this man with this kind of power? What is this that we're witnessing? When Tim Keller approaches scripture, he often looks at it through what a modern or postmodern or late modern, however you want to say that, a late modern uh, would see it through a, a late modern lens and then through a traditional lens in a traditional culture and he compares them. And that's what came to mind when I was reading this passage. This passage shocks and challenges modern people and it shocked and challenged people of Jesus's day, but in almost entirely different ways, almost diametrically opposed ways. So we'll look at how this passage challenges our society, contemporary societies, and traditional societies. And then to continue on our series of the baptized life, we'll look at what it means for Christians, what it means for us. So first, for us who live in late modernity, for contemporary Westerners, we have a hard time with belief in evil, actual pure evil sometimes. And we can certainly struggle with a belief in demons or the demonic and in demonic forces. Like the college dean that I mentioned earlier, we can see this as kind of silly, sort of a primitive remnant of religious culture. This belief comes from something called materialism, which many of you might be familiar with, which would proclaim that the only thing that is are those things that we can see and smell and taste and hear and touch. That material reality is the only reality. And even as a priest, I can see myself slipping into this mindset. It's kind of the water we swim in. I wrote an essay a while ago um, about how I realized that although I'd never rationally decided that I disbelieved in angels, nonetheless, all the little angel, cutesy angel pictures and angel figure, figurines and those cheesy, there was this spate of cheesy TV shows about angels that they had sort of made them cartoon-like. They'd made them seem unreal to me. They made them have uh, a bit of caricature to them. So it... Uh, when I realized uh, this, it wasn't so much for me a failure of belief, of rational belief, as it was of my imagination. I had, I, they had kind of been drained of reality, so I couldn't imagine this as true. And likewise, I think um, that spiritual realities of darkness can be uh, misshapen or emptied by false portrayals of that, of sort of corny... Uh, horror movies that many of us may have seen, or if you read Frank Peretti novels, and demons just sort of come to seem um, kind of corny, kind of cheesy. It's a predictable script, and the spiritual realm can just sort of be drained of reality. And so we can look at passages like this, and um, like the one we're looking at this morning, and try to make it into a psychological metaphor about battling our own demons, about our own security or insecurity or addiction or anger or whatever you personally struggle with. But this passage isn't a psychological metaphor. This was an actual encounter 
with an evil spiritual being. We as Christians believe in what some have called a crowded cosmos. We believe that this material reality is jam-packed with spiritual realities. In the words of Elizabeth Barrett Browning from one of my very favorite poems ever, Earth is crammed with heaven. But we don't only believe in an invisible reality of goodness, but of evil as well. The baptized life is one lived in cosmic reality. We live in a crowded cosmos. And that does not mean that all bad things are caused by demons. Certainly we recognize the reality of the material sciences. We honor that we're material beings. Just like my campus minister said, we don't want to look at mental illness or a legitimate chemical imbalance or a biological phenomenon and call it demonic. And we don't, um, you know, when you're, car breaks down, we're not praying over the carburetor, casting out demons when we need to be going to a mechanic. So we affirm material reality, and yet we believe in a spiritual dimension to reality, a reality that we cannot see, both good and evil, but real, still real. Many in this room have stories of encounters with the spiritual dimension of unexplainable things where they've encountered light and goodness, maybe angels, or had encounters with darkness, had demonic encounters. Certainly, there are experiences that people have had that are unexplainable by the natural order of things. I have been close to experiences like this. The thing is that there is just so much more to the world than what can be explained by materialism. As Shakespeare famously wrote, there are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. It doesn't seem like the universe is a closed and thoroughly predictable cosmos. There are unexplained and unrepeatable things that happen And so for us as humans, even for those of us who claim to be materialists, cosmic complexity seems to sneak in. We tend to almost naturally, over time, begin to believe in some kind of supernatural reality. Our secular version of this that you'll see around, if you pay attention, the kind of trending thing now is that if you put out positive vibes or positive energy into the universe that evil things won't happen to you. It's this kind of undefined way of sort of warding off spiritual evil. I've come to believe, and I've seen this time and time again, that if you live long enough and you see enough of life, it's hard to be a very good materialist. You just encounter things that are unexplainable. In the traditional world, though, spiritual realms and realities are a given. The reality of the demonic was a given to the people of Jesus' day. That's not what surprised them about this passage. What was shocking to them is that Jesus had complete and utter control, even ease over this situation. 
even through his own, his own words. There was no gymnastics. There was no incantation. His words had authority, complete control over this situation. For those who believe in the spiritual realm, there can be a great fear of evil, of evil beings, or a notion that good beings and evil beings are in this pitch battle. They're equally weighted or they're equally strong and we don't know who will win. There's this uncertainty in the face of evil. And it's terrifying. And in the traditional world, you can see folks who try to ward off evil spirits or who try through magic to kind of get above spirits and manipulate them. And we can see this survive even in our culture in various superstitions that you see. But in this passage, Jesus is not only having compassion on a man who is deeply troubled, but he's revealing a reality that he is completely powerful, even over any spiritual force of evil. I lived um, briefly in a really remote part of, of East Africa, in, in Uganda, near, very near Congo, and um, we were we were far away from, you know, the universities and the cities. And, uh, and so there was a lot of belief in spirits and traditional culture there. And I had a friend named Mike who was there as an engineer, as a missionary. And he, he brought clean water to this region. And he was hugely respected by the folks in the town because he'd saved them from a cholera epidemic. There was cholera all around. And uh, Mike arrived and he brought clean water, which is a, a way that cholera is often spread, and this village was spared. And so he was living there and he was going sort of from town to town and figuring out ways to build wells. And so there was this one place with this huge and gorgeous waterfall. I got to see it, which is very cool. And he, Mike was there and he was, he was figuring out how I don't know anything about engineering, so I don't know what I'm talking about here, but he, he was figuring out um, where he needed to lay pipework to be able to get a fresh well to, these, to, to that region. And some people came who were around, who lived there, and they were really, really scared of what he was doing. And they said, you know, um, you're going to, there's a spirit of the waterfall. There's a god of the waterfall, and you're going to anger the spirit, and you need to ask permission if you're going to build in this. And my wise friend Mike, uh, believing in a crowded cosmos, didn't say, oh, come on. There is no spirit of the waterfall. You guys are, this is ridiculous. We're all good materialists here. You should get over it. He said, I know. It's okay. I'm friends with his boss. <laughs> and they, they were like intrigued. Right? They were intrigued by what that meant. What he meant is that there are lesser spirits, but that our God, our God of compassion, our God of clean water, is the Lord. He's the boss. What is striking about this to traditional cultures is to say that our God is more powerful than all other spirits, than all other lesser gods or cosmic realities. Our God is Lord of heaven and Lord of earth, Lord of seen and unseen, and he is our friend. 
We are friends with the boss. Not only is this an exorcism that we see in this passage this morning, but Jesus is revealing something about himself. He's announcing a cosmic eschatological reality. And that's a big phrase, so let's break it down. Cosmic, relating to the whole order of the universe. Eschatological means that in the end of all things, he is announcing the cosmic eschatological reality that Jesus is the ultimate authority over all things, even the demonic. Jesus is stronger and more powerful than evil itself. Evil manifest. The demon asks, have you come to destroy us? And Jesus doesn't answer directly. But the implications of Jesus' action is yes. Yes, I have. And on the cross, Jesus defeated death. He defeated every spirit of death as well. So we who have been baptized recognize that we live in a crowded cosmos, but we don't have to be frightened. And we don't try to manipulate God to protect us through superstition. Instead, we ask for help. And we trust in the God who is more powerful than all other beings and who will destroy all, all evil. So what's this mean for our life today? In our current context, we still see spiritual darkness. And I don't want to rule out that we might have true encounters with this kind of evil. I hope we do not. I hope you do not. But I don't rule that out, kind of overt evil that we read about in our scripture passage today. I actually think there's some evidence that these kinds of overt demonic activities are increasing even here in the West. Last year, the Washington Post, the Washington Post, um, published a story about a psychiatrist who encounters these phenomena that's unexplainable. They bring folks um, to him who, who have issues that can't be explained away by psychology, or, or at least what we know about psychology and what we know about mental illness. And so he helps Catholic priests diagnose demon possession. And he thinks that it's on the rise here in the West. The Vatican has been asking for more, ex has been uh, working to have more exorcists because Catholic priests are complaining that they're, that they're encountering this, this dimension more often uh, in the last few decades. But I also just want to make clear that even if the spiritual powers of evil or spirits of death are not always or usually this overt, that does not mean that the demonic is not at work and behind events and activities in our world. Evil is real. We believe that. It's very real. And it's not only a material or psychological reality, but a spiritual reality. Paul tells us that ultimately our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of this world. William Stringfellow, who I mentioned earlier, was a lay theologian who visited Harvard to deliver lectures in the late um, 1960s. And Thomas Long wrote about his visit to Harvard in his book, Accompany Them with, Angel, with Singing. And he tells the story. 
and I'm going to read it to you. So hang with me. It's a good story. He was to speak, uh, Stringfellow was to speak on the theological theme of the powers and principalities of death loose in the world. In fact, he was scheduled to speak twice on the same day, once at the business school and then at the divinity school. Stringfellow thought about modifying his talk for the business school by eliminating any explicit biblical reference or apocalyptic language, but he finally decided to go with the same speech for both audiences. Ironically, the students in the business school turned out to be far more responsive and alert to what he was talking about than were the divinity students. The business students kept Stringfellow long past the scheduled hour, offering numerous examples of the death-dealing powers at work in corporations and the business world. The seminarians, however, mostly yawned, saying that talk of powers and principalities was archaic imagery, having no reference to contemporary reality. And Long says, Evidently, there is nothing like a little experience on Wall Street to reinvigorate awareness of the powers of death. In entrenched systems of the world's false power, in places of oppression, of racism, of greed, of abuse, of false worship, of human degradation, we see that behind these are often demonic powers at work. That does not mean there are not responsible human actors. That doesn't excuse anyone. It doesn't mean that people aren't causing evil. But when I've encountered beautiful examples of mass human goodness, I'm often struck by how the whole is so much more than the sum of its parts, how there is more good there than can be found in each individual alone. And in the same way, in massive human evil, in systems of evil, there is more darkness and depravity and suffering than can be found in any human or humans alone. There is evil at work beyond what one person or people could orchestrate. I'm not trying to sneak in a psychological metaphor to take away the spiritual reality of demons. I'm saying that actual forces of spiritual evil are at work in our world. Powers and principalities of death may not always manifest themselves overtly in the West, but that does not mean they are not at work. Where we see anti-creation, where we see powers at work that are diminishing human flourishing, that are causing mass human suffering, that are increasing violence and division and idolatry, there are spirits of death at work there. But we, the baptized, we know that Jesus is more powerful than the spirit of death, than any work of the spirit of death. The enemy wants you to deny that he exists or to be afraid. But do not. Evil is real, but do not be afraid. When we have baptisms in this church for adults or for babies, we ask every candidate, do you renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? That's not just flowery language. We actually believe that there are spiritual forces of wickedness at work. 
But in Christ, we believe we have the power to renounce them. They know, they know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, that he is the boss, that he has authority over all things. And so we can pray against forces of evil in the world and in our own lives even. We don't deny the spiritual world as materialists do. But we also don't seek to manipulate it or cower from it. We know who rules, even the realm of that which we cannot see. So we can walk without fear, knowing that Jesus will destroy all evil. We have power as his church, as his people, to fight, to even join in the fight against these powers of death through prayer primarily. We can pray against powers of darkness at work in our world. And also through the truth of God's word and to take up what Paul calls the shield of faith where with you shall be able to quench, I love this, all the fiery darts of the wicked. We live in a crowded cosmos, but we know who has authority over everything, everything seen and unseen. And we can join in that fight, and we can ask the boss, the Lord of heaven and earth, to fight, to bring goodness, to bring light, and we can know he will. Because he has promised that he has come to destroy evil, evil manifest, evil itself. He is more powerful. So pray. Use this power that you have been given to ask the one that is most powerful to fight, to bring goodness, to bring light. Let's pray together. Lord, we do ask that you will fight the powers of death at work in our world. We thank you that you, in your cross, destroyed evil and that you are at work. And then at the end of all things, you will finally defeat and silence all evil. Lord, now would you bring your light into places of darkness? Would you destroy evil itself? Thank you that you are more powerful than all things. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.